Well, good morning. It's only appropriate that the Sunday I chose to speak on the tongue, I woke up having a hard time speaking at all. So, uh, but God's been so faithful. I feel myself getting stronger. The 915 crowd was great, and I have like 26 Ricola in my pockets from them uh, giving me treats to calm my throat down. So, um, well, I recently came across a story about a married couple uh, around the age of 60 who went out to dinner to celebrate their 35th wedding anniversary. And while they were out at dinner, all of a sudden, out of the blue, this fairy godmother-like figure shows up and, and says she's there to grant each one of them one wish. And so she looks at the wife and she says, what's your wish? And the wife says, you know, I've always dreamed about visiting around the world. And all of a sudden, poof, there she has two tickets to a cruise around the world. The husband's kind of taken aback and... And then the fairy godmother asked the husband, well, what do you want, sir? And he says, you know what I'd really like? He said, I'd like to have a wife about 30 years younger. So the fairy looks at him and says, okay. Waves her wand, poof. And all of a sudden, the guy is 90 years old. <laughs> all right? Now, I'm skeptical that that's actually a true story. But it does begin to speak to the perils of the tongue. An organ roughly three inches in length and weighing less than a pound, and yet whose power is virtually unmatched. In the book of James, Jesus' half-brother in chapter 3 writes about this, and he says, The tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. See, as you read through the scriptures, one of the things that pops up time and time again is the importance of the tongue, the importance of how we speak to one another. So whether you're reading the book of Proverbs that we've gone through or the book of Ephesians, which we went through, or the book of James that we went through, or if you just focus on the ministry of Jesus time and time again, they all speak to the importance of how we speak to one another. And, and the question kind of comes about, it's like, well, why? What's the big deal? And the answer is pretty obvious. The big deal is that how we speak is really important to God. And you repeat that which is important. And so God wants to be clear. He wants it to really resonate with us that there is power for good and power for evil hanging on every word that proceeds from our tongue. And so it makes this, this taming of the tongue and controlling our speech one of the great challenges in the Christian life. Uh, Oswald Chambers once wrote that the true test of one's character is their tongue. It's the true test. And so with that being said, it should become as no surprise that in a book like the book of Proverbs, a book about wisdom, there is much written about in regards to the tongue. And similar to what I did when I preached on friendship a few weeks ago, because there's so much, we're going to bounce around quite a bit and land on five principles or five characteristics of the tongue of the wise. And the first of these is found in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19 and 22. And it says that the tongue of the wise speaks words of truth. The tongue of the wise 
speaks words of truth. And this is what the scripture says. It says, truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. You see, it is important to God that we are truthful and honest in what we say both for his glory and for our good. One of the things I speak to time and time again is that God's design is for our benefit. It's for his glory and it's for our benefit. And he's designed us to be truth tellers. There is blessing in being a truth teller. For one, I love the the Mark Twain quote where he says, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Right? You see, lies ultimately catch up with you. Lies ultimately catch up with you. And when you are found out, the destruction that is caused by that lie often far surpasses had you been honest from the very beginning. There was a um, football coach, college football coach in the early 2000s named George O'Leary. And O'Leary was a successful coach. He had been a successful coach at Georgia Tech, so much so that in December of 2001, he got hired to be the head football coach at none other than Notre Dame University, probably the second most prestigious college football program in the country, only behind the Fighting Texas Aggies. (laughs) That's what I tell myself. And O'Leary's career as the head football coach at Notre Dame, though, lasted all of five days. Five days. Because what happened is there was a newspaper in New Hampshire where he had gone to college. And this is kind of a success story. Hometown boy becoming the head coach of Notre Dame. So they wanted to do a special on O'Leary's life. And as they started researching, what they came to find out is that his, he lied on his resume. He said he was a three-year letter winner at New Hampshire and he had never played. He said he had received a master's degree from a school that did not exist. And so when Notre Dame came to O'Leary about these accusations, O'Leary confessed that they were not true. And he had to resign after five days in his dream job. And it reminds us that that, uh, the words of Proverbs 19.5, which says, A false witness will not go unpunished. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, that's a good principle, but that's not really that true. I mean, people lie all the time and they get away with it. People lie all the time and they do not get found out. And what we have to remember is lying is not only potentially devastating for your future, but it's destructive in the very present moments of your life because it renders the liar incapable of true freedom. Incapable. Proverbs 10.9 says that he who walks in integrity walks securely. But he who perverts his ways will be found out. See, one thing the, one of the things the book of Proverbs speaks to is that those who walk integrity walk securely. Those who walk in, te- in integrity walk in freedom. Those who walk in integrity walk knowing they're not about to be found out. They don't walk around with this cloud hovering over them, ready to pounce at any moment about being caught in an indiscretion, about being caught in a lie. And so they live with a greater freedom 
than those who exist in a web of their own deceit. And this knowledge that you could be found out at any moment, it eats away at you. And it's like a self-made prison that robs you of your potential to enjoy the fullness of life, the fullness of joy, the fullness of intimacy. It robs that from you because it's constantly hanging over you. And this is why confession is so powerful. It's so powerful. And this is why God is continually imploring his people to confess their sin, to come clean about their sin, to bring things to the light. Not because he wants to publicly shame you, but rather because he desires that you experience the freedom that comes with true repentance. The freedom. One of my favorite Proverbs is found in chapter 28, verse 13. It says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Will find compassion. See, lying is an abomination to the Lord. It causes future destruction and present decay. But if we will turn from our lies, turn from our sin, confess them to God, we will find compassion. So number one, the wise person speaks words of truth. Secondly, the wise person speaks words of honor. Words of honor. Now what I mean by honor here is that the wise person does not slander or gossip, but rather uses their, their tongue to speak words that honor God and honor that which God has created. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 27 and 28, says, A worthless man digs up evil, while his words are like scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer, separates intimate friends. You see, very few things poison the well quite like slander and gossip. And it's one of those sins of the tongue that affects far too many of us and certainly far too many of us in the church. And what this poison produces as it bubbles up, bubbles up are words that are dishonoring to God, words that are devastating to our witness. And words that are destructive to those we gossip to and gossip about. And it should not be that way for the believer. And once again, James chapter 3 reminds us of this. James speaking of the tongue says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. What are you doing? He says. One commentator speaking to this disaster and the fire of these words referenced the story, references the story from Judges chapter 15, which is the story of Samson. And what, what has happened is the Philistines have taken his wife. And so Samson is furious. And what, he does, what, the, what Samson does is he captures a bunch of foxes. And he pairs them up. And he ties their, ta- their tail together around a, a torch. And then he lights the torch on fire and he sends the foxes into the Philistine vineyards and fields, burning everything it touches. And that's what gossip and slander are like. They're like the torches tied between the tails of two foxes that destroy everything it touches and then some. 
Now, obviously, there are times that you have knowledge of something that is of such magnitude that it needs to be shared. You have insight into an evil. You have insight into an injustice. And the, and the immoral thing to do would be to stay silent. And so you have to courageously speak up and call out injustice and sin where it is. But the issue here is not that. The issue here is not a lack of courage to show what one knows, but rather a lack of discretion and a lack of wisdom in revealing what they know. It's not a lack of courage to share. It's a lack of wisdom and discretion in terms of what to reveal. Proverbs 17.9 says, He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Separates them. And and concealing transgression here does not mean ignoring it, but refraining from broadcasting it. Think of the last couple weeks as we've talked about the interaction between David and Nathan. Nathan didn't walk around town saying, can you believe our king? Can you believe David? This supposed God-fearer? Supposed leader? Do you know what he's doing in his spare time? Unbelievable. Come here, let me tell you about it. No. He went to David. I said, David, you're wrong. You're wrong. He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. And so we honor God with our tongue, not only in that which we speak about one another, but also by at times remaining silent and saying nothing at all. It's been said that silence is never more golden than when we refuse to gossip about the failings of a friend. Never more golden. We must think before we speak because words matter and words have consequences. We must be aware what we say. And the wise use the tongue to speak words that honor God and one another. Thirdly, starting in Proverbs 15, we see that the wise speak words of peace. The wise speak words of peace. Verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You see, just about every day we are presented with opportunities where we can either inflame a situation or diffuse it depending on what we say and how we say it. And the way of the wise is to speak words of peace. It's to show self-restraint. It's to show self-control. It's to show kindness and grace. It's to not have your words held hostage by your anger and your emotions. Another proverb, chapter 15, says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. The slow to anger calms a dispute. One of the lesser-known stories of, of King David, and King David's life is obviously just rich and full of illustrations, But one that you may not have heard of before comes from 1 Samuel chapter 25. It's before David is king. So he's kind of running from King Saul. And what happens is he sends some of his men to work for this guy named Nabal. And so they go work for Nabal, this rich man in the field. And it's payday. So David's men come up to Nabal. It's like, okay, pay up. Let's go. And Nabal refuses to do so even though he's a rich man. As a matter of fact, this is what he says. He says, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse you speak of? 
So obviously word gets back to David about what Nabal said, and David is hot, okay? I mean, it's one thing to be done wrong by the king of Israel, King Saul. It's another thing to be disrespected by this guy, Nabal. So David, in his anger, rounds up 400 of his men, and they head off to Nabal's residence, and they're going to kill him and every male in his family. He's going to wipe them out. But before he gets there, he is greeted by Nabal's godly wife, Abigail. And Abigail meets David with bread and wine for David and food to feed David's soldiers. And she falls at David's feet and she speaks words of kindness and words of honor and words of respect to David. So much so that his heart begins to melt. As one preacher put it, as his own harp had appeased Saul, the sweet-toned voice of Abigail exercised David's demon of revenge and woke the angel slumbering in his bosom. And Abigail's words end up not only saving her husband that day, they really saved David as well. And he admits as much. After this interaction, this is what David says. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment. And blessed be you, Abigail, who have kept me this day from bloodshed. And you've kept me from avenging myself by my own hand. David says, I want to kill everyone. But your kindness changed my heart. And if you know the story, a couple days later, Abigail goes home. She tells her husband, Nabal, what happened. Nabal falls over and dies. (laughs) David hears about Nabal's death. He comes right back into town. He asks Abigail for her hand in marriage. And Abigail becomes a wife of the future king of Israel. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. And once again, I want to be crystal clear in this. I am not saying to avoid conflict at all costs. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying to just to lay down and get walked over. You know, one of the things I tell couples that I do premarital counseling with is that conflict is not bad. Bad conflict is bad. Conflict itself is not bad. Bad conflict is bad. Conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable in a a marriage. It's inevitable in a church. It's inevitable in a, in a small group, in a, in a family, in a workplace. Conflict will happen. And while conflict is inevitable, it's not optional. How we handle it is. How we handle conflict is optional. And the way that we respond is, is going to dictate whether or not it's something that grows us or something that is a cause of destruction for a relationship we are in. And which way it goes will often depend on whether we speak words of peace or words of war. Escalation rarely leads to restoration. So we must control our temper and control our tongue. And this may require the discipline and the wisdom to not respond to things right away. To not respond to things right away. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Just pours out. But the wise 
ponder how to answer. And that's a difficult thing to do in our day and age, right? Instantaneous communication. You fire off an email. You send out a text. You make a social media post. It's instantaneous. We respond right away. And yet there's great need to ponder before pouncing. There's great need for that. For example, don't send an email when you're irate. It rarely goes well. Don't send a text when your anger is dripping onto your phone. Don't do it. Give it some time. Reflect upon it. Maybe sleep on it. Because you never have to apologize for that which you do not say. And that which you do not send. You know, one of my heroes was Abraham Lincoln. And one of the things that Lincoln would do when he was in office is when he felt the urge to tell someone off, he would compose what he called a hot letter. And he would write everything he was feeling on this hot letter. I mean, he would just lay it out, whether it was towards one of his generals or whomever. And then he would take that letter, he would put it in an envelope, and he would put it aside until he cooled down. And if he decided not to send that letter, on it he would write, never sent, never signed. And he would file it away. And they found some of these upon his death. Lincoln was no coward. But he understood that escalation rarely leads to restoration, that anger clouds judgment, and that the tongue of the wise is to speak words of peace. Speak words of peace. Fourthly, the tongue of the wise is to speak words of wisdom. Now, this may sound kind of obvious or redundant, but hang with me here because I think this is actually the most important point. Proverbs 15.2 says this, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Notice what Solomon says here. The wise person speaks words of knowledge. The fool speaks words of folly. And then later in Proverbs 16, Solomon tells us, what is the source of that wisdom? Like, where does that come from? And in chapter 16, verse 23, pivotal text, he says, The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. And that should sound familiar because that's eerily similar to what Jesus said during his ministry. In Luke chapter 6, where he says, For from his mouth speaks forth that which fills his heart. The heart instructs the mouth. Our tongue is a tattletale, and it tells on the heart. It tells on the heart. And words of wisdom that proceed from the tongue are the result of the wisdom of God being cultivated in the heart. Cultivated in the heart. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. Let me tell you why this is so important, why this matters so much for for me, for you, for anybody we come into contact with. Jason alluded to it in his prayer, and if you followed the news yesterday and the events that transpired in Charlottesville, Virginia, then I'm I'm sure that like you, like me, you experienced this mix of, of frustration and anger and sadness and heartbreak about what you were seeing. As I was on Twitter watching videos of these mostly, these white, mostly male and, and mostly young men marched together down these streets chanting things such as blood and soil, blood and soil, a Nazi slogan, amongst other heinous things. 
promoting white nationalism, which was just appalling. The face of evil, evil that the church is to stand against. Even our seminary president at Dallas Seminary, he wrote an article that I thought was titled in a great way. He said, the absolute absurdity of supreme race. And he said how racism is a stench in the nostrils of God who created everyone in his image. And while the words that were being chanted by these people were repulsive, the deeper issue is their heart. It's their heart. You see, the tongue is not the storage place of evil. The heart is. The tongue is just revealing that which exists in the heart. And here's my point. At the end of the day, whether it's some rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, or my living room where I'm speaking unkindly to my children, the issue is not a loose tongue. The issue is a sick heart. And the remedy is not refining that tongue. The remedy is having a heart transplant, a supernatural heart transplant. Brought about by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. And it's my only hope. It's the only hope for those guys in Charlottesville. It's your only hope. It's the only hope for our world. And that's why we proclaim Jesus to anyone who will listen. And that's why we pursue Jesus with all of our heart. Because we know we are desperate for it. And we are in need of him at all times. The tongue reveals the heart and our heart desperately needs Jesus all the time, every day. And when God gets control of our heart, I'm convinced our mouths will follow. Our mouths will follow the lead of our heart. I love the the John Piper quote where he says, When a heart full of God's love can draw on a mind full of God's word, blessings will flow from the mouth. When a heart full of God's love and a mind full of God's word draws upon a mind full of God's word, blessings will flow from the mouth. The wise use the tongue to speak words of wisdom. And finally, the wise use the tongue to speak words of life. Words of life. Proverbs 15 again, verse 4. This is what Solomon writes. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit crushes the spirit. Our words can crush the spirit or be a tree of life. And in Proverbs 18, he goes even further. And in 1821, Solomon writes that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That is sobering. One of the keys to taming the tongue is constantly reminding ourselves of the power of the tongue. It's power to give life, and it's power to bring death. I don't know about you, but when I hold a firearm, no one needs to tell me that I'm holding something extremely powerful, that I'm holding something that has potential for great destruction and also potential to bring great safety and other good things. But I'm cognizant of the fact that it's incredibly powerful, that it's not a toy, It's not something to be nonchalant about. And the tongue is no different. It can be a weapon for good or it can be a weapon for destruction. And my guess is that everyone in here has experienced the beauty and the beast of the tongue at some point in time. You have said words 
that you wholeheartedly regret, and you have hung on to words that you wish nothing more than forget. And I'm no different. I've shared this story before, but I, I played high school football, and I was one of the team captains my senior year, and we were struggling early in the year, and after a loss, coach called me over, and I thought he was going to kind of encourage me, and he just crushed me and said things that were, that were horrible. And, 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 and looking back at it, I know that he didn't mean to rip a hole in my heart. I mean, he was just trying to motivate me, or he was just speaking out of anger. But as a 17-year-old kid, insecure, and wanting nothing more than the affirmation of my coach, those words just killed me. And words that flew out of his mouth in five seconds took me over five years to process through and to deal with. And then on the flip side, hopefully you've experienced the, the beauty of the tongue and how someone has spoken words into your life that has transformed you and that you've tattooed to your brain and you've hidden them in your heart and you just walk around with them. I remember late in college, I was at Camp Canacook where I spent my summers in college, this Christian sports camp, and I was struggling. I was at kind of a low place. I didn't think I was a very good counselor. And all of a sudden, right behind me walks up this guy named Chris Cooper, who's the director of K1, Canacook Camps, where I was serving. And Coops came up to me, and he said, La leche. For those of you who do not habla espanol, that means the milk. He said, La leche. He says, brother, you are gifted at ministry. And you are crazy if you don't do this the rest of your life. And I, I sailed back to my cabin. Where do I sign up for next summer? You know, I mean, it was... It was words that have stuck with me to this day. It was transformative words that Coop spoke into my life. You see, not everyone here walks around with firearms, even in Texas. <laughs> but we all have a tongue. We all speak. And in doing so, we all have the potential to bring great blessing and to bring life or to bring destruction that destroys the spirit. And oh, how I need to be reminded of the power of the tongue. As I was thinking about this message, I started thinking about God. And it took me all the way back to Genesis 1. And then it was like this beautiful crystallization where we learned that God spoke things into being. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God created life through his very word. And then when our Savior, Lord Jesus, left heaven to come to earth... And take on flesh. And the Apostle John is writing down the records inspired by the Holy Spirit. He calls Jesus the Lagos, the Word. Jesus, the Word of God. The speech of God. So powerful. The God who spoke life. I want to close this morning with some Powerful words from a man who had a tongue that was wise. 
the Wayside staff and some other folks had the privilege of, of going to what's called the GLS, the Global Leadership Summit, this week, which is a huge worldwide leadership summit based out of Chicago that they simulcast all over the world. And so we watched, and we went to this conference for two days, and the last guy who spoke was a guy by the name of Gary Haugen, who happens to be the president of International Justice Mission, this incredible ministry, this incredible organization that fights for the least of these, that fights for the poor, that fights against oppression all over the world. As a matter of fact, Chad and Jill Olson in our, in our own congregation spent time in Kenya working with IJM. It's an incredible organization. And during this talk, Haugen spoke of how Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, his I Have a Dream speech, had profoundly impacted him. And then he spoke to a little bit of the background of that speech. And so I went home, and I was like, man, I need to go back and read Dr. King's speech. Not only because Haugen had just brought it to mind, but also because, hey, I'm speaking on the power of the tongue this Sunday. Maybe I should go read one of the most famous speeches that's ever been given. And so I went back and I read it. This was before the events of yesterday. And, and I just want to read to you a little excerpt from that speech because it's powerful. King said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. And this is the faith I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beauty, beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, pray together, struggle together, go to jail together, stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. And when this happens... When we are allowed, when freedom rings, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white, Jews, Gentiles, Protestants, Catholics, will join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. Powerful words from a guy who had a keen insight into the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we will probably never speak in front of 250,000 like Dr. King, but we will be accountable to the King of Kings for every word we speak to those he's placed in front of us. We will be accountable to him. So let's speak words of truth. Words of honor, words of peace, words of wisdom, and words of life. And in doing so, may we give glory to the one who spoke life into being. May we give glory to the word of life who gave his life. That we might have the fullness of life, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and just confess that we all fall short in this area. Anyone who has any insight into their spiritual life does not come to a, a sermon or read scriptures on taming the tongue and walk away feeling like, I got this thing under control. No problem. 
And yet that conviction is to remind us both of the power it is in the words we speak and the ability for you, God, to transform our hearts that then overflow into words of wisdom and words of truth and words of peace and words of life. May we stand for truth. May we stand for all that is good and true and beautiful in your world. May we use our tongue to bring life to a world that desperately needs it. And as guys, we reflect on you, the one who spoke life into being. I'm reminded that there's people in here who really don't even know what I'm talking about. What, what is this word of life? What, is the, what are you talking about? God, would they hear this? Would these words penetrate their heart? God, would they understand that they are made in the image of of a magnificent God, holy and just, loving and true, who created them to be in relationship with himself. And yet all of us, every single one of us, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, all of us have turned from him. And we have followed our sin. We have all turned our back on God, for the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, that, and the result of that sin is separation. We've been separated from the one who loves us. We've been separated from the one who created us. And yet you did not leave us in darkness. But the word of life took on flesh and dwelt among us. And our Lord Jesus Christ assumed flesh. And he lived a perfect life on this earth in our place. And then willingly went to the cross where he died for our sins doing what only he could do. He rose from the grave on the third day and invites all who will believe in him to have eternal life. Every color, every creed, every continent, all languages, that there's room at the cross for those who will turn to you. And no matter what, is, what it is we've done, God, you, you promised to Remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. All of us have said things that we regret. Words that brought destruction. And yet, God, we look to the cross and we see where the word made all things new. And God, I pray if there's anyone in here who's not received that gift that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord, that today the Holy Spirit would penetrate their heart and they would see themselves and see you, God, clearly, maybe even for the first time. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time to worship, the time to pray, the time to cry, the time to laugh, the time to hug. We thank you for the body of Christ. And, God, may we be a light in this world. May we represent you in such a way that when we come home to be with you forever, there's a smile on your face from east to west. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray you would make us men and women who follow after you. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.